Do you, uh, do you, you have this experience where you look back at your life and you're thinking back on a time where you felt sort of confused or out of it or like you didn't know what was happening and then now looking back you go, oh, I see exactly what God was doing, that he had this plan, he was working this out and that he was directing me in this way. Does that happen to you or is it just me? And then I, re- and I sing that song and I think, he's doing that today. He's at work in stuff in my life, in my kids' lives, in my wife's life, in this church's life, in ways that I, I couldn't even possibly fathom, and which is why we say we trust you, God, because your ways are above our ways, and you're always at work. The Bible says he never sleeps, nor does he slumber, right? He's always at work in your life. And for me, coming to church, just sometimes simple truths like that, reminding my heart of it, is important, Right? And with that, kids, I haven't forgotten you. You're not stuck here for the sermon. I see you kind of nodding at me. Anna is right here. She would love to take you off to your classrooms. We've loved having you in worship with us. Um, Let's give the kids a little bit of love today. For the rest of you who are here with me, uh, my name is Dave, and If you've been with us these last weeks, you know that we have been in a series through the life of Moses. It has been a great series. God has used it in my life personally in some very significant ways. And next week, we're going to finish up that series with the end of Moses' life, kind of how he concludes his days here on earth in a very intentional and purposeful way. It's going to bless you, so don't miss that. But this morning, I'm actually going to take a pause a pause for Moses and talk about something that the Lord has put on my heart to teach on as we prepare for Easter Sunday in just two weeks. And to do that, um, I want to begin this way. When my youngest daughter was just three and a half years old, she suddenly started using the word fooey. I scared you, didn't I? Fooey. Um, Like if something would go wrong or something was happening that she didn't like, she would just with a little bit of attitude say, fooey. Like we would be playing old maid and she would draw the old maid. Fooey, which was a dead giveaway. It's like, she's a terrible card player. Like, don't go to Vegas, sweetheart, right? Um, Or I would say, time for bed, PJ. And she'd say, fooey, or you've got to finish your vegetables. Fooey. Now, it's kind of a weird word, really, for a three-and-a-half-year-old to pick up. And so the question is, where did she get it? And how did she learn to use it so appropriately? Well, Donald Duck, no, it wasn't Donald Duck. But that's a really good guess. I appreciate the audience feedback. (laughs) And I'm going to check with the judges. They say no on this one, but yeah. No, it was was a book my wife and I used to read to her. And it was the story of this little mouse named Wagner who had a tough day at school. Have you read this one? It's a good little book. He has a hard day at school, and when things don't go well for Wagner, he says, fooey. Um, and uh, so my daughter starts using this word fooey, and she's using it really appropriately, and she learns the meaning of this word and how to use it, not because we defined it for her or sat her down and said, here's a word, here's how you can use it. She learned the meaning of the word because she knew the story behind the word. Well, today I want to talk about baptism. I want to talk this morning about where baptism comes from, what baptism means, who baptism is for, what holds us back from baptism, and then how we should respond. And to do that, to really understand the word baptism, we need to know the story of baptism. 
See, the word baptism, or some form of it in your English New Testament, comes from the Greek word bapto. When you read baptism, you're reading just bapto. And bapto was just a common everyday word that meant immerse or submerge. The Latin equivalent of that word was immersio or submersio, which you can obviously understand what those words mean. Um, But most of the time in the New Testament, actually, when you read the word baptism, it's not just the word bapto, it's the word baptizo. You see, the Greeks have, have this way of when they really want to emphasize a word or give it like some, some gumption, they just stick a few extra letters in there to kind of give it emphasis. That was, that's pretty common. And so baptizo is just like the, the emphatic version of bapto. It means to fully immerse or completely submerge. And throughout Greek literature, you find this word describing all sorts of things. Things like people who drown. They were baptizoed. For too long. There are ships that, ships that sink were baptizoed. It's used to describe fabric that's dipped into dye for the dyeing process. And one of the more interesting uses of the word baptizo that we find in kind of ancient literature comes from about 200 years before Christ, 200 BC, when a famous philosopher named Cander wrote down a recipe for making pickles. And in his recipe, he uses the word baptizo twice. See, this is how we figure out what words mean. We go back and we read all the times throughout the history of the world where they're used. And he says, first you take the vegetable and you baptizo it in boiling water. And then you take the the vegetable and you baptizo it in vinegar. And then at the end of the recipe, he writes, and when that vegetable dies, it will go to heaven. No, he doesn't say that. No, that's not what he writes at the end, right? He doesn't talk about heaven or God or spiritual things at all. Why? Because he's not describing a religious process. The word baptizo is just a normal, everyday word. So here's the question. How did this word baptizo come to mean something different? How did it change from just immersing or submerging something in liquid to mean this sort of religious practice that we know it means today? Well, here's the story. Back in the Old Testament, at the end of the Old Testament, actually, during these 400 years before Jesus was born, living all around and amongst the Jewish people were people who worshipped other gods. And these people were referred to as the Jews, or by the Jews, as Gentiles, which simply means they were not Jewish. And sometimes these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people would begin to believe in the one true God of Israel and they would want to worship Yahweh and they would want to become Jewish, not ethnically, but spiritually, religiously. And those people were called proselytes, Gentiles who became Jewish. Now, in order for a Gentile to become Jewish, they would have to go through a series of ceremonies and the final ceremony was a washing where you would baptizo or fully immerse yourself in water to represent the washing away of your sin, your life of sin, your life apart from God, um, to kind of wash away your your Gentileness and now enter into this new life of walking with God as a Jew. So that was happening all over Israel. This sort of Gentile conversion process, this baptizoing. And then... In about 30 AD, 30 years after Jesus was born, this crazy guy shows up on the scene named John. 
Yeah, some of you know where this is headed. And, and John starts to do something unheard of. He starts performing this washing ceremony, not for Gentiles, not for proselytes, but for Jews. He's baptizoing Jews, and his message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn, he's saying, from your life of sin towards a life with God. Don't be your own king, John says, your own Lord. Walk your own path. Put your life on God's path. Put your life under God's authority. John is now telling Jewish people, religious people, you've been God's people by name only. And now it's time to actually live for him. Why? Why the urgency of this call for John? He says, here's why. The kingdom of heaven is near. He's telling the people that God is drawing close, that connection and life with God is becoming available in a way that it never has been before because a very special person is coming soon. And because John became popular, and because he was doing this baptizoing so often, he gets a little nickname. People start to not just call him John, they start calling him John the John the Baptist. John's a Baptist, but this was not the name of his denomination, friends. One guy I read this week said, Jesus did not have other cousins like Simon the Methodist or Eva the Episcopalian or Jeff the Presbyterian. No, Baptist was just a descriptor for what John is doing. It's like Andy the heart surgeon or Cindy the graphic designer or Dave the preacher or Bob the builder, right? John was just the guy who was the baptizer, the dunker, the dipper, the soaker, so this is the history of where baptism comes from and what it meant then. But what does it mean for us? Like, what is baptism? Because that's the real question today, right? What does it mean for us? And to discover this, we have to continue on with the story. John the baptizer is doing his thing. He's dunking people down at the Jordan River when one day, who shows up? Jesus, the one that John has been talking about the one that people have been waiting for, the Savior, the Chosen One, the Deliverer, the Messiah. He shows up down at the Jordan and Jesus goes into the water and he says to John, you should baptize me. And John says, no way. I can't baptize you. You are, you're the Messiah. You should be baptizing me. But then Jesus says something amazing. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John does it. Jesus is baptizoed. Why? What does that mean? What is the significance of this moment? Let me give you three things that I think Jesus' baptism means. What it's, what it's, what it's stating and declaring. Here we go. One, Jesus is aligning himself with John's teaching. When you were baptized by someone publicly, you were saying to everyone in attendance, I agree with what, this with what this person is teaching. So Jesus is declaring to everyone what John says is true. The kingdom of heaven is near. It is very close and it is available to you because 
I am the Messiah. I am the Savior that John says I am, the one you've been waiting for. That's the first thing. Jesus is aligning himself with John's teaching. The second thing Jesus' baptism means for us is that he is modeling repentance for us. He's modeling repentance for us. You'll notice in the New Testament that that baptism and repentance are often hooked. They're often linked together. Baptism is always about repentance on some level. And so Jesus is modeling that for us here. And some of you are thinking that doesn't fit in my mind. That seems strange because Jesus doesn't need to repent. Does he? Does Jesus need to repent? I mean, he's not a sinner. If you know anything about Jesus, what the Bible teaches is that he was perfect. He was sinless. So how does repentance apply to Jesus? Well, friends, when we think of repentance... Our idea is kind of in short that we've done something wrong, that we've, that we've really, really messed up, and now we need to repent. We need to feel bad, we need to say we're sorry, and we need to stop doing that thing. Some of you are thinking of a specific thing right now that you are like, yeah, I should probably repent. But we miss the heart of repentance. We miss the, the real core meaning of what it actually is all about because repentance at its core is about changing. Changing the way we think, changing the way we live. It's turning from our plans and our path where we are in control of our lives to God's plan and God's path where he is Lord of our lives and directing our future. And so friends, Jesus does not need to turn from sin, but he does declare it at his baptism that he is here to follow God's plan for his life. In his baptism, he says, I am on God's path. And that path, friends, will ultimately lead Jesus to the cross. It is not an easy path. That's why immediately after Jesus' baptism, he goes where? Into the desert for 40 days and And Satan comes to him, the enemy comes to him, and Satan says, you're going to walk God's path? You're going to follow his plan? It's not a fun plan. It's a plan filled with sacrifice and suffering. So why not take an easier road? Why not go this way? Why don't you walk down this path? I've got food for you. I've got pleasure and power and the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus says, what? He says, no way. Because My life is lined up with God's plan. My plans are his plans. And this leads to the final and most important meaning of Jesus' baptism. You'll notice that he tells John, it's proper for us to do this. Why? To fulfill all righteousness, which kind of sounds really religious, doesn't it? To fulfill all righteousness. And righteousness in the Bible, when you read that word, is just a fancy word for things being right with God. Jesus says, I'm here to fulfill. I'm there to make all things right with God. And so through his baptism, here's the third thing. Jesus is demonstrating how righteousness will be fulfilled. He's showing us how this is going to happen, how all of the world and humanity will be made right with God again. And in in, in this act, he's very visibly demonstrating that he is going to die as he goes under the water and that he is going to rise as he is pulled forth again, right? Friends, in this moment, don't miss this, Jesus redefines baptism for all time as a picture of his death and resurrection. That's what baptism is. It's a picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And what he says here is crucial and controversial and absolutely phenomenal. That righteousness, a right relationship with God, is no longer defined by being clean enough or good enough or religious enough. It's not about being a part of the right people or group. It's not about becoming Jewish. It's not about following all the rules. He's saying it's about believing in him. It's about trusting his death and resurrection, that it has the power to forgive you and change you and put your life on a path towards God. And friends, that's why after Jesus' death and resurrection, after he actually dies and actually rises, he pictures it in his baptism, and then he actually does it. And then what does he say? He tells his followers, go make disciples. Go help people follow me and trust me. Go, go make people who will become like me and make me known. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It's the mission of our church, right? Right out of the mouth of Jesus. Go make disciples. And then he says this, as step one of following me, as step one of being one of my disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says, in a real, physical, tangible way, make the public declaration that your life has been immersed into the life of Jesus. See, baptism is this picture that, that your life has been immersed into the life of Jesus. When you Receive Jesus as Lord. The Bible uses all sorts of images to describe that, but, but one of the things it says is that you, your life has been immersed into the life of Jesus. That's why baptism is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality that your life has been clothed with Christ, immersed in Christ, submerged into Christ, into his love and grace. Listen to this. This is Paul talking about this very thing in Galatians chapter 3. He's talking about salvation and what it is and what it does. He says, so in Christ Jesus, when you're in him, when you're merged and submerged in him, you're children of God through faith, through trusting him, through trusting his death and resurrection. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, what's that word baptized there? We just talked about this. I'm really sad right now. It's the first weekend of spring break. Are you guys already on a trip? Okay, here we go. What's the word there? It's baptizoed, right? For all of you were baptizoed into Christ. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. Here's another way to read that verse. For all of you who were immersed into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Do you see how, how baptism is a picture, physical picture of the spiritual reality of what happens when you put your faith in Jesus? Peter talks about this in his letter, about how baptism symbolizes this immersion into Jesus. Paul talks about how this, this immersion into Jesus changes everything for you. How that now, you, since you've been merged with Christ and submerged into his life, you live differently. This is Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, the life I live now here on earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who died for me, right? He's talking about the death and resurrection and how it redefines not just his eternity, but his entire 
life. You see, friends, when we are, when we are immersed in the waters of baptism, we are making a physical public declaration that by faith we have already been immersed into the life of Jesus. That our lives will never be the same again. Not, not that we will never sin again. Not that we will never have struggles or temptations or difficulties again. But now when we face those things, that Christ is with us and in us and has power to help us grow and learn and, and strengthen us for the journey ahead. That's the declaration. That's what baptism is. This, this physical declaration of a spiritual reality in your life. So then here's the second question. Who is baptism for? Who should be baptized? You know, it's interesting in Acts chapter 2. Jesus died. He rose. He appeared to people. He talked to them. He shared some things. And then he ascended into heaven. And then his followers, of course, start talking about it. You think you'd talk about it? You think you'd talk about it if your leader, your teacher, your rabbi said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to defeat death, and I'm going to rise from the grave. And then you watched him die, and you put him in the tomb, and then three days later, he wasn't there. And then he appeared to you in the flesh and said, touch me. You think you'd share about it? Yeah, these guys shared about it, and they talked with people. And people believed in the story, the good news, that death and sin have been defeated, and that eternal life is available to you in Christ now and forever. And thousands of people... Thousands of people said, I need that reality. I believe that truth. And they trusted this good news. And then, right after making this decision, this is Acts chapter 2, right after putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they asked this question, what shall we do? Like, yes, I believe in Christ. What's next? What is the first step for someone who has put their faith in Christ? Here's Peter's response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Friends, over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, we see this. If you determine to follow Jesus, the clear and powerful next step for you is to be baptized to publicly declare that Jesus is Lord and that his death and resurrection now define and have redefined your life. Why? Why? Why is this the first step? Here's, here's, here's why I think God says to do this. Because he knows that we need physical, tangible, experiential, public, definable moments to help us remember who God is and who we are in him. See, baptism is a gift to you and me. It's not just something we have to do. It's something that will help us on the journey ahead. So if it is this very clear command of God, if it is this powerful first step of faith, why don't we do it? Why do so many Christians, people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, still refrain from Baptism, from baptizo, from being immersed, from picturing the death and resurrection of Jesus in their lives. What holds us back? Well, to answer this question, I want to share with you this morning a little bit of my story. I was raised in a loving Christian home by parents who loved God and taught me about Jesus and took me to church 
Like most Sundays, not every Sunday. Does anyone go to church every Sunday? But like, I'll say a solid three out of four, Pete. We were there, like, um, we were there a lot. I mean, I was a church kid. But even growing up, knowing about God, hearing about God, believing in God, it wasn't until college that I determined for myself, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He is actually Lord of my life. And at that point, um, I was going to a church that did adult believer baptism as a profession of faith, but I was torn. I was a little bit uncertain about getting baptized because I was raised in a church where people were baptized as babies. I had been baptized as a baby. And as a new young believer, I didn't want to hurt my parents' feelings, right? I I didn't want to send the message that I was rejecting them or rejecting my Christian upbringing or rejecting their faith because I, I wasn't at all. And so I hesitated and I didn't. I did not get baptized at that time in college. And then after college, um, God called me to go be a pastor. So I went to be a youth pastor. Moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, a place that's far too cold and snowy, although our state is starting to resemble that state. Um, That's another sermon on uh, caring for the environment, but that's another thing. Um, And so I go to be a youth pastor at this church, and this church also practiced infant baptism. And during those years, I developed a stronger conviction. I need to be baptized, immersed. I want to picture the death and resurrection of Jesus and make this public declaration of faith for myself. But I was in a church that did infant baptism, and I didn't want to cause disunity or confusion for the students. And so again, I hesitated. I was going to seminary, I finished up my seminary degree, and then I was called to be an associate pastor in California where the weather was much more godly. And so (laughs) we moved there, and this church was practicing believer baptism, and we were baptizing people. But by this point, now I'm a pastor. When was the last time you guys saw a pastor get baptized? It's a little weird. And so I felt a little weird, I felt a little uncomfortable. I felt insecure. Um, I felt embarrassed. I felt a little prideful about like, am I, is there enough? It'll be strange and people might think less of me if I get baptized. And so again, I resisted. I didn't get baptized. For several years, I was a pastor in that church, baptizing other people, right? And by the way, just, just so you know, their baptisms take it's not like they're vol- it's not like, oh no, their baptisms are null and void. It doesn't matter if the person baptizing you is a really awesome person or if they're the most wretched sinner of all time. It's not about them. So don't worry about those people, okay? But I'm baptizing other people with this sort of conviction growing in my heart. I still haven't done this act of faith that I know God commands. And then, and I'd kind of decided, if I can be really honest, I'm just gonna like let this thing slide. No one knows. No one's really asking me about it. Everyone just kind of assumed that I'd been baptized. And no one knows. I'm just going to kind of keep going with this thing. And then one morning we were doing ocean baptisms because in California, the ocean water is the temperature it should be. And you can actually swim in it, right? So we're down at the beach where I was getting ready in my house, in my closet, putting my swimsuit on and my t-shirt, getting ready to go down to the beach to baptize a bunch of people from our church. I was the family pastor at the time, and there were a bunch of students who were getting baptized. I was super excited. I'm standing in my closet, and the Holy Spirit just said, Dave, what are you doing? Why are you fighting this thing? And I felt 
the conviction of God that I had to be baptized. And so I walked into the living room and I told my wife and I said, I'm, I'm getting baptized today. And as a side note in the story, my wife was believer baptized when we were in college. She gave her life to Christ in college. She was baptized and she had sort of been encouraging me. I wouldn't say pressuring, but let's say praying, praying for me to be baptized. And I walked out and I said, I'm doing it today. I'm doing it today. And I just started to weep. And I probably cried for the next two hours. I cried on the drive down to the beach. I cried through the whole like introductory part. I shared my story with the entire church and thought people were going to reject me. I went into the, to the waters and as a pastor of the church got baptized, made my public declaration of faith at like 32 years old. And what happened was amazing. Yeah, thank you. That's amazing. What happened was amazing because what I thought was going to be sort of an embarrassing, humiliating moment, God had other plans with. And people in that church started coming out of the woodwork. People who had been Christians for years, older people who had walked with Christ for decades, started getting baptized in that church because, of course, they thought, well, if the pastor can get baptized, I guess I can do it now, right? I guess, I guess if anyone can do it, I don't have to be embarrassed if Dave wasn't embarrassed. And so God did this amazing thing and so many people made their public declaration of faith. Some like right upon receiving Christ some years or decades later. And friends, I say all that this morning. I share that story with you to encourage some of you. Because some of you are here today and you are a new believer and you are wondering if it's too soon for you. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, maybe I need to clean up a bit or let Jesus do a little more work in me before I'm baptized. My, my old life of sin is still really fresh. It still feels like it's really close. Can I, can I tell you something? Can I, share, can I share a secret with you? Jesus will always be doing a little more work in your life. Am I right, Lois? Jesus, I mean, he's done a lot of work in your life, hasn't he? A lot, a lot. And you're like, I don't want to get picked on today, but you're not getting picked on. I've seen Jesus do lots of work in you and there's still more to do and there's going to be more to do tomorrow and next week and next year. And if you wait, and if you wait until you are good enough, until you feel ready, you might be waiting a really long time. Baptism is not for people who are good enough. If you think you are good enough, if you think you deserve or have earned the right to be baptized, then you're not ready. Baptism is for those who know they're not good enough on their own. And so they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're saying, I need his death and resurrection. I need his grace and mercy and salvation for me. I need to walk with God in this world because doing it by myself is not working and is a dead-end road. Others in this room, you're here and you were baptized as an infant. Um, and I just want to say this. This is kind of my take on this. And so I'm just going to share it from my perspective. Your believer, full immersion, baptizoed baptism will not be a rejection of your infant baptism, but a fulfillment of it. What you're doing is you're saying, what my parents wanted for me as a child, what they and others prayed for for me, God has honored because now I do have faith and trust and allegiance to Jesus Christ in my life. And now I want to declare that in the same way as believers did in the Bible and all throughout history by making a profession of faith that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's not a rejection of mom and dad. It's a way of saying, thank you, mom and dad. Thank you, right? Thank you. 
My believer baptism was in no way at all a rejection of my parents' faith. It was absolutely me saying, thank you, mom and dad, for raising me to know and love and follow Jesus. Here's another thing I hope you take away from my story, and maybe this is the main thing. If you are a believer in Jesus, do not let anything get in the way of your baptism. Don't let anything get in the way. There's lots of things that the enemy wants to put in the way. For years, things got in the way for me. And I think the scriptures and Jesus and the Holy Spirit right now, if you're listening, will say, don't let anything get in the way. Not fear, not pride, not embarrassment, not maybe I'm not good enough, not maybe I'm not ready, not maybe I waited too long. Nothing. Friends, can I tell you the freedom and the power and the peace and the joy and the, and the grace that comes from declaring Christ as Lord, from going down into that water and being raised up into life in Christ again is it's it's one of the it's a spiritual experiments experience not experiment experience that is at the top of my life. Think about the, some of the best experiences of your life. You're going to start thinking about things, things you've done, things you experienced, the birth of your kids for some of you, maybe marriage or college graduate, whatever it was, whatever. The, I mean, there's nothing that compares with declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm telling you, it was the most freeing, empowering, affirming experience of my life at 32 years old as a pastor to get baptized in front of people and say, I want everyone to know that Jesus is Lord. Don't let anything hold you back from it. And I'm preaching this sermon today because now is the time Two weeks from today, Easter Sunday of all days, we are celebrating baptism in this church at both services, 9, 15, and 11. And I just want to say, listen to the Holy Spirit right now because maybe this is your time. Maybe now is the time for you to stop dabbling with church and get serious about God. Maybe now is your time to go public with a faith that's been largely private. Maybe now it's time to do what Jesus says to do. Get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not because all your problems will go away, but because there's power in declaration. There's power in saying to the church, I'm doing this thing with Jesus. Do it with me. There's power in it and there's freedom. So don't wait. April 9th is the day. It's two weeks from today. We have a baptism class next Sunday, right after church, April 2nd. Even if you're just considering, even if you still have questions, sign up for the class and come. Talk to someone. Ask your questions. You can email admin at cmbc.org. Just so you know, at the other side of that email address is just Julie Penn. She's the nicest person ever. You don't have to feel weird about it. She's going to get your email. She's going to put you on the list for the class. You can come. If you need to talk to somebody today, maybe this message is stirring something in your heart and you're thinking, now is my time. I cannot wait. Jesus is Lord of my life and I, I need to declare it and I want to declare it. If you need to talk to someone today, talk to one of our pastors. Pastor Luke is right here. Um, if you're one of our youth, you can talk to him. Shoot, if you're one of our seniors, you can talk to Luke. I mean, he's awesome and he would love to talk to you about baptism. I mean, no one will encourage you more. Pastor Ashley's here. She's awesome too. Um, that's, that's, that's it. Of course she is. Um, John's in here somewhere. John Hamilton is in here. Pastor John. Pastor Ted, are you here? This is like pastor call out. Are you skipping church? Um, I, like, 
what pastors are here. And I'm saying that because I'm not going to be here. I'm actually getting on a, a plane, a plane at, at 1.30. So I'm walking off the platform, preaching about baptism, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then driving to get on an airplane. So I'd love to talk to you, but I can't talk to you this morning. But we have other pastors who love to chat with you, people in the prayer room who can pray with you. Again, friends, let me just say this. Don't let anything get in the way or stop you, or hold you back. Do not let the enemy thwart God's plans for you to declare Jesus Christ as Lord through baptism. It will be one of, if not the greatest day of your life. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship in response to that. Father, this morning, we, we gather just to we don't understand everything that happens in salvation, but we do know this, that when we receive you by faith as Lord, we are immersed into your life. We are submerged into you, into your goodness, into your glory, into your strength, into your power, into your majesty, into your love. And the chance to just declare that and picture that in a physical way is a gift from you. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the gift of baptism. I pray, Lord, this morning for anyone in this room who knows right now that you've said, yes, this is your time. I pray that nothing would stop them. Nothing would stop them from getting into the waters of baptism on Easter Sunday. All for your glory, Lord. All for your majesty. And we pray it in your name as we stand and sing. Amen. Let's stand together, church.